Uh, welcome to Hope Haven Church, a church where we what we reach, evangelize, accept, and love. Y'all, y'all doing that? Yes. It got quiet, y'all. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm actually I don't have necessarily a title for this series, um, but we're going to be just talking about the sovereignty of God for the next few weeks, Um, just giving different angles of it. Um, I think one of the most difficult um, understandings that we have of God is that he's sovereign and that he does what is the pleasure of his will. And um, many of us are used to being in control. All right. Maybe I'm the only one. Amen. We're used to controlling the narrative. We're used to controlling things. Um, but when you teach somebody that God is in control, um, sometimes it's a hard thing to understand. Um, so we really want to just share with you that God, at the end of the day, is in control of all things. Amen. And uh, we talked about this last week, uh, that the called, those of us that are called to God, uh, we're part of his purpose. And Romans 8, 28 says, for this, we know that all things work together. What? For the good of those that love him and what the called according to his purpose. And the word good there is not what we have redefined the word good to be. Uh, we, a lot of times when we hear the word good, uh, we like the word good uh, to fit our agenda, meaning that everything is right according to what we like. But God's good is different than ours because God sees years down the road. And sometimes uh, God is working things together for our good while we're uncomfortable right now. And if you tell the truth, sometimes you get later on down the road and you're glad that God took you through some of the processes that he took you through to get you to where you were. Am I the only one that's been there? I'll I'll give you an example. You guys remember that man by the name of Joseph? Uh, What if I was to tell you that being thrown in the pit was part of his good? What if I told you that being thrown in prison was part of his good? And can I ask you a question? Can you imagine or do you think in his mind that he thought that God had any goodwill towards him while he was laying in a pit? When somebody accused him of doing something that he didn't do and he was thrown in prison, did did you think he thought that that was good? But at the end of his life, after Jacob had died, his brothers came to him crying because they thought that Jake Joseph was going to kill them. And what did he say? He said, am I in the place of God? And he says, what you meant for evil God meant it for good. So he finally got the revelation that everything that I went through was part of God's purpose for me to end up saving my family later on down the line. So sometimes we go through some situations where our current circumstance is tough. Anybody have ever have a tough year before? I'm talking about a tough year. I mean, you experience death, you experience debt, you experience health issues, you experience family problems, you experience. I've had those years. uh, But then later on down the line, five, 10 years later, uh, you, you, you learn things from those experiences. And then you are able to minister to people because you've been through something. So sometimes God will put you through things so that you can help other people. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about somebody that had that type of experience. And his name was Paul. Anybody know the man Paul? Anybody familiar with that man Paul? Uh, Prior to that, his name was what? All right, I feel like I'm in Sunday school today. And Saul was part of God's plan and part of God's purpose, even when it looked like he couldn't have been. 
We used to have something in the yearbook. I don't know if they do this anymore. Uh, where uh, what was the name of it? Was it called? Uh, is it superlatives or something of that sort? Am I saying it right? Uh, superlatives. Yeah, most likely to succeed. Class clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody have those in y'all yearbooks? I'm not going to tell y'all what I was in my yearbook, but I, I, I was in there. But there was one called the most likely to succeed. Anybody knew that one? And usually the person that was most likely to succeed was the guy that got straight A's, you know, the person that they called the bookworm, uh, you know, the person that uh, did everything right. Um, uh, but my my my, te- my uh, uh, advisor during that year, Mr. Ellaby, um, God rest his soul, um, he 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 said, you know what, I don't think that I taught for everybody to be a failure. So what he did for our class was he took a whole class picture. And in the superlatives, he put the most likely to succeed and he put our whole class up because he says, I don't have in my mind that any of you will be failures. So we have the most likely to succeed, but there's nowhere in the superlatives where it says least likely to succeed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But a lot of times the reason why we base the most likely to succeed is because we look at their work from their past. And we said, well, you know, he always went to school on time. He had perfect attendance. She did all of her homework. She was in all AP classes. She got straight A's. Oh, I know she's going to make it. And how many of you have ever ran across somebody 20 years later? And they were most likely to succeed, but life punched them in the gut a little bit. And sometimes that happens. And that's how God's sovereign grace works. And then have you ever ran across somebody that you looked at and you said, if there was a least likely to succeed? surely it is. (laughs) And then you run across that person in 20 years and they're a business owner and they got families and they're doing well. And you're like, whoa. And that's how God works. Sometimes God will take the least likely to succeed and turn its story into a fairy tale. Can I give you an example? Most of us, if we tell the truth, we're least likely to succeed. Y'all like, well, I did my work. Yeah, you did your work. But if we go through the concourse of time, you will begin to see that you should even been where you were. That your whole life is nothing but based off of the grace of God. So who are we to determine someone else's destiny? We have to just pray for people regardless of what type of situation they're in. Who am I talking to today? And and so many times we judge people and we decide in our minds and in our hearts who and what and how they're getting to heaven. And we ain't got a heaven or a hell to put somebody in. So we need to pray for our, our family as well as we pray for our enemies because you never know who God is going to use. So when we go to the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, I'm just talking today. We go to books, the the, the book of Acts, uh, the ninth chapter and starting at the third verse, it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now we can stop right here for just a couple minutes because what I want you to understand is the root on why Saul was the way that he was. I'm coming back around to you. I promise you. We'll we'll, we'll get excited in a minute. Saul had a reason why he was the way that he was. I was sitting with some friends on Friday and we were talking about some people that we grew up with. And we all got sad. 
because we were looking at the situations that they were putting themselves through. But then we had to ask ourselves, what was the route that got them there? We can't judge them necessarily completely off of their current actions. In most cases, the person has certain attributes because of the root of their upbringing, some trauma, something that happened, some stress that caused them to have issues later on in life. Y'all with me? So we see here that some folks get triggered easy. Y'all ever meet somebody like that? I'm talking about that person you don't want to go in a restaurant with because if somebody says something wrong, they just, what do you mean do I want fries? And you're like, man, they just asked you if you wanted fries. I ain't like the way they said it. Now, just for that, they ain't getting no tip. What you mean? Y'all, 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 y'all know those kind of people. And I, and I used to, well, I still, I'm still embarrassed by those kind of people. But then I begin to understand the root of why some of those people have some of those behaviors, why they're paranoid and why they're lashing out. And a lot of times certain things were triggered from their childhood that they never got over. So we're looking at Paul and I hear preachers preach on him. He was a murderer. He was a killer. He was evil. But then I had to ask myself, what made Paul behave the way he behaved? Now, I'm going to say Paul. Y'all know I mean Saul. You know, the transformation happened. But let's just say Paul, okay? You know, folks get deep. Oh, Saul. Who is King Saul? King Saul is from a land, a city called Tarsus. Tarsus is part of the south central part of Turkey. It lays between Syria and Turkey. It's a metropolitan city that sits by a bottle, body of water where imports and goods come in. And if you study any successful city, in most cases, they're successful because they're by bodies of water. New York is huge because New York brings in imports. Baltimore brings in imports. New Orleans brings in imports. San Francisco brings in imports. The Great Lake cities bring in imports. They're, they're huge metropolitan cities because they're known for their imports. But also what we have to understand is that when you bring in things and you also bring in certain spirits. So he's from a metropolitan city called Tarsus, which is known for its academia. During this time, there are three major universities around the world. There's the University of Athens in Greece. Alexandria, which is where? Egypt. She said Virginia. (laughs) Egypt. And then there's the University of Tarsus. These were the three major universities during their time. They were the Harvard, Yale, and Princeton of their time. And Paul was educated at the University of Tarsus. It's 150,000 people. Right now, it's about 3 million people that live in Tarsus. But during that time, 150,000 people was a lot of people that dwelled in this land. So he's highly educated. Not only is he highly educated, but his father is a Pharisee. And his father also was a Roman citizen, which brought a lot of weight. Because Rome was the powerhouse of the world. So if you had a Roman citizenship, 
You had all types of privileges that the rest of the world didn't have. So he's not only a Jew, but he's also privileged and he's also educated. He's so educated that he sits under one of the greatest Old Testament scholars whose name is Gamaliel. And Gamaliel is one of the top scholars of his time. And they like us now. Paul would come in here and put all of us to shame, including me, before his conversion. Because Pharisees, they lived as close and as ceremonial to the Old Testament law than anyone else. They were self-righteous because they lived out the law better than everybody else. Not only that, but they were scholars of the law. And what made them scholars was that they memorized chunks and chunks of the Old Testament. Many of us, we can't even quote 10 scriptures. But we call ourselves Christians. But they took pride in taking on chunks and chunks and chunks of the Old Testament because they took the word of God that serious. So you can imagine your whole entire studying the word of God, reading, trying to gain understanding. You're a Pharisee. You're living holy. You ain't never touched pork. You ain't never done this. You ain't never done that. You wash your hands the right way. Sudden, this man named Jesus comes on the scene. And he shifts your way of thinking. And not, he doesn't shift your way of thinking, but he shifts the way of thinking towards these new converts called Christians. I've been doing church this way my whole entire life, and now God shifts the culture, and I'm not willing to change. Sounds familiar, don't it? This is the way I did church. This is what saved me. And if you don't do it this way, you ain't saved. Oh, y'all know some folks like that. And they'll do church that way for 40, 50, 60, 70 years and will send everybody else to hell because you don't do it my way. And this made Paul a zealous, overzealous zealot to the point now to where he's killing people who have taken on this Christian culture. I take you a step further. There's a man by the name of Stephen who was preaching the gospel and they stone him to death and he dies at the feet of Paul and Paul is okay with what is going on. My question is what happened to thou shalt not kill? So now we're looking at this man and who would have ever thought in a million years that God could save someone like this? You killed people that lifted up the name of the Lord and yet God wants to save him? That's why Paul says, I was the chief among sinners. Because my testimony is worse than anybody else. I killed some of y'all because you didn't fit my agenda. So the root of Paul having this rage against Christians was because he was raised that church or the gospel or not even the gospel because he didn't have the gospel yet. But the law was supposed to go this particular way. And if you try to shift the way we do church 
I got to kill you. And what we have now is a group of zealots who try to destroy ministries because they don't operate the way that they operate. I've seen people send other churches and other ministries to hell because they don't do church like them. And this is what we're dealing with right here. So now Paul goes on a rampage and he's ready to go to war and he's ready to kill these Christians. And he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues where in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belong to the what? Capitalize, which tells us that there's something powerful about this word way. Jesus says, I am the, the, and the light. <laughs> so if he found any men or women who belong to Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem. He's asking for permission to go to Damascus. And if he finds anybody that worships Christ, He's going to have them dragged, watch this, on the back of a horse, chained by their ankles from Damascus all the way back to Jerusalem. And yet God can save him. I'm sorry, I thought I heard a cat. I got a cat in my house now. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, watch this. A light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. I want to stop right there as he traveled and was nearing Damascus. I promise you, I'm going to speed this up in a minute. As he was traveling near what? Damascus. I wish I had the map. I meant to send it to you last night. In order to get from Jerusalem to Damascus, he had, like Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Samaria is between Jerusalem and Damascus. Y'all with me? In the prior chapter, Samaria just had a revival. Philip had just went there and tore Samaria up with the gospel. Peter and John came right behind them, started laying hands, and people were filled with the Holy Ghost. So Paul is on his horse on his way to Damascus and has to ride through a revival that just happened in Samaria to get the people in Damascus. Can you imagine the rage? I want to kill them, but not only do I want to kill them, but I want to kill y'all, but y'all not part of my purpose, so I got to slide through you. He's angry. But watch this. And a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. This is where we get excited. A light flashed around him. He's on his way to do something against God's people and God suspended his assignment. Can I go somewhere with this for just a couple minutes? In order for God to convert you, he has to have contact with you. You don't save yourself. He saves you. And what he does is he gets in contact with you when he wants you. If I got anybody in here saved, there has been a moment where God had to contact you in order to save you. Now watch this. Nobody should be shamed by their contact. What do you mean by that? I grew up in church and I can't lie. I didn't have a hard life. Somewhat privileged. And I do not apologize for it. 
I wish we stopped that. If God's been good to you, say it. And my prayer is that I'm good. I'm a good parent so God can be good to my children. So I don't have these hard stories, but every once in a while you'll hear the hard stories of how someone was down and out. They were strung out on drugs and this and that. And God contacted them and he changed their life. And they share that testimony and it rocks the church. And then you get somebody like me said, I was just sitting in church one day and the Lord spoke. Both contacts were powerful. Why? Because God didn't have to touch either one of us. But the fact that he contacted me the way that he contacted me and contacted them the way that he contacted them, we're both part of his destiny. So regardless of how he touched anybody in this room, the fact that he touched us is a praise all by itself because he didn't have to touch you. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad he touched me. Some of us don't have crazy testimonies. I wasn't living in the gutter. I wasn't strung out with a needle in my arm. But regardless of how my testimony is, the fact of the matter is, is I am his and he is mine. And that's a testimony all by itself. Can I go somewhere with that? God has to contact you based off of the hardness of your heart. Anybody have siblings? And did you notice that your parents raised some of you a little different? They'll say they was balanced, but some of us got more beatings than the others. (laughs) Some of us spent more time in our room than others. Some of us dealt with some other moms are like, no, cut it out. I ain't never hit you. I kissed you and you was bad. Stop it. (laughs) All of us had different contacts by our parents. Based off of the hardness of our heart, it took more to get it across to some kids than others. I got, I got four. Trust me. There's some I gotta, I gotta, and there's others. I just gotta raise my voice. But their testimony is different. One testimony is dad laid them hands, but the other one is dad is a screamer. I love them the same, but in order to get the message across, I have to contact them differently. So if I'm strung out, it might take a little different contact than if I'm sitting in church for 20 years and I'm not saved. I just need the right moment to hear the gospel in this situation. But in that moment, I got to hit rock bottom. Mm. Paul was a murderer. Paul was a killer. Paul was a persecutor against the church. So his contact with God had to be different than somebody just walking up hearing the gospel for the first time like the Ethiopian eunuch. So God, first thing that he does before he saves us is he makes contact with us. Who am I talking to today? Some of y'all like, oh, I just heard the word. And I just started crying. I walked up to the church. Walked up to the altar and I gave my life to Jesus. No. It was it was, it was a little more than that. You heard the word, but the word pricked. Right. The word touched. The word moved yes. upon your heart. And then God picked you up and drew you to the altar. Amen. Paul at this moment is having his first contact with God. This is not the sun that he's dealing with. It says a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. 
which tells us that this ain't the sun it's talking about. This is a divine light that hit Paul in his eyes and changed him. <sighs> Wish I had time. Anybody ever, and we always kids and did dumb stuff. Anybody ever take a flashlight and just put it right up to your eyes? Anybody ever do that? Or anybody, it was dark and lights just came on and then they cut the lights off? What happened? You're still seeing the spots from the light, which means you're still having an experience from a moment of light. (laughs) That's from a natural light. Imagine what happens if a spiritual light hits your eyes. Could it be that Paul was not necessarily blind for three days, but it took three days for his eyes to adjust from the revelation of the sight of God? (laughs) There's a possibility that for three days, he was just dealing with, with the after revelation of who Jesus was. Y'all with me? So watch this. After this, he falls to what? The ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting capitalize? So who's talking? Why are you persecuting me? Y'all with me? But Paul went to Damascus to persecute who? Christians. But Jesus comes and says, why are you persecuting? Y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. Paul thought He was just hurting the church. But the church is called the body of. Which means that when you try to hurt the body. You're hurting Jesus. The worst thing for the enemy to attack. Is the church. Because the church ain't about us. The church is about him. Mm. So Jesus is walking with his disciples and he says, who do they say that I am? And Peter jumps up and, you know, a couple wrong ones. You know, it's always some wrong kids yelling out the wrong answers in church. Some say you Jeremiah. Some say you Isaiah. He says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. But then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And what? The gates of shall not prevail Against it. He's talking about what? The church. Meaning that whatever the enemy throws at the church, it won't work. Can I go somewhere for just a couple minutes? The, the, the enemy is trying to come up against the church, but the church can't die. And the reason why the church can't die is because we are the body of Christ. 
So Paul calls himself persecuting the church, but you can't persecute God. God will suspend anything that comes up against his plan and against his people. Help me, Holy Ghost. So you have to understand in these last days, everybody's talking about folks are leaving the church and folks are having a great fall away and this and that is happening. But I'm not concerned because you can't hurt Jesus. So you have to understand that you're coming up not against Sister Rachel. You're coming up against his church. That's why the Bible says, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Why? Because your enemies become his enemies when you're in him. Hope Haven is going to be all right. This church has to survive. As long as we stay in Christ. When we stay in him, there is nothing that can separate us from him. Mm. So now when we see sickness, when we see disease, when we see all types of things come up against our church, we should not be timid, but we should jump up and declare that you cannot have victory over us because we belong to him. So he says, why are you persecuting me? And look what he says. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> he refers to him as Lord. Don't know him, but he said, it's got to be something special about you. So who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. <laughs> Watch this. After contact comes conviction. Say that again. After contact comes conviction. What are you saying? After God saves you, there will be conviction. Y'all with me? I know I'm talking slow today. I'm going to speed up in a minute. No, I'm not. After God touches you, there has to be conviction. What are you saying? Salvation comes with conviction. Why? Because after he saves me from sin, sin becomes my enemy. Is this making sense? After God redeems me from sin, that sin now should become my enemy. That's how you know a true conversion. Now, I'm not saying that everything's going to be perfect after you're saved. But what I'm saying is after you recognize how awesome the grace of God is on your life, you no longer want to be bound to something that will separate you from him. So we don't do things based off of works. We do things based off of love. After God has saved me, after God has redeemed me, after God has set me free, the least that I can do is serve him. So when we worship, it's not out of obligation. 
when we praise him, it's not because we necessarily have to, but we praise him because we recognize that if it was not for him saving us, we would have died in our sins. So my praise is powerful because I recognize that God has redeemed me and because he has redeemed me, the least that I can do is give him some praise. So there's contact, then there's conviction. And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He has been arrested by God. Watch this. And now he has to go to the same people that he was getting ready to kill. If God didn't intervene and now they have to minister to him. It's hard on both ends. One. I got to come to you knowing what I had planned. If it wasn't for Jesus, I was going to hurt you. I'm, I'm just preaching. But then on the other end, you're looking at me and you knew what I was getting ready to do to you. Johnny, I was getting ready, girl, I was getting ready to knock you out. But God saved me. Now watch this. Now watch this. How forgiving can you be when you know what my intentions was before Jesus? Oh, y'all quiet. We keep talking about Saul. But let's study these people in Damascus when Saul comes walking into their city. Can you help a person that treated you like trash? Can you minister to a person that you knew had no good intention towards you? Could you lay hands on somebody that needs to be healed and you know that they wouldn't have laid hands on you? Oh, I love the quietness in here. This is an honest church. Not one person was like, yeah, I would. Everybody's like. (laughs) Now watch this. The men who travel, the men were traveling with him stood what? Hearing what? But seeing. Hold on. What did Paul hear? He heard a voice. What did they hear? They heard a sound. That's a message right there. Some of y'all hear a sound, but I hear a voice. Which shows us the sovereign will of God. That you can be in a room full of thousands and be the only one to hear the voice when everybody else just hears a sound. Y'all quiet in here. Think of all the people you grew up with that have heard a noise, but you heard a voice. This is a lesson here. Paul is traveling with a herd of men and God only chooses him. This shows us the sovereign choice of God. The Bible never says they were saved. 
The Bible says that they never says they were converted. Because their experience was different. All they saw was a light and all they heard was a sound. And there was no conversion by a sound. The only thing that can convert you is his voice. Help me, Jesus. Some folks come to church every serve every Sunday, but all they hear is a sound. Y'all quiet. Some folks go to church every single week and all they hear is a sound. They never hear a voice and they go through the motions every Sunday thinking that they're good Christians, but you have never heard the voice of God because the voice of God brings forth conviction. Yes. Yes. So here you go, a bunch of men around you and only you get the experience. Now we see here that they all they hear is a sound. And they stand speechless. But then Saul gets up from the ground. And though his eyes were what? He could not see. Watch this. (laughs) Although his eyes were. He could not see. Watch this. His physical. Matched his spiritual. Now look at this from the spiritual text. Although his eyes were open naturally, he could not see nothing spiritually. And physically, although his old eyes were open naturally, he could not see nothing naturally. God gave him a natural revelation of what was going on with him spiritually. Sometimes God has to meet you where you're at. You don't get it? All right. I'll put you in a situation where you'll get it. I'm going to blind you physically. And I'm going to let you see how tough it is to have your eyes open and not see anything. Now he's walking around with his eyes open looking normal to people. But can't see nothing. And this explains the climate of Judaism at this time. That there were a whole bunch of folks whose eyes were open. They could read the scripture, but they could not see the scripture. Y'all miss it. Paul had all that word. He memorized the Old Testament in chunks, but yet could not get the revelation of who Jesus was in those books. Until God had contact with him. Some folks know of you. They follow you on Instagram. They follow you on Facebook. But can we tell our truth? Most of us is on our best behavior when we're on social media. It's like dating. It's like dating. Yo, y'all quiet. I laugh at folks that fall in love in two weeks. I'm like, yeah, he was on his best behavior for two weeks. Yeah. Oh, he's such a gentleman. He's so, she's so wonderful. She's so kind. Oh, I'm like, yeah. This is this is this is dress up and makeup. But eventually, over time, a person who they really are begins to reveal themselves. And sometimes we only know what we see, but we have no experience. And what God has to do sometimes, he has to touch you so you can experience him and not just see him. 
Oh, I know I, I've heard your testimony, but I don't have one. I know what God did for you, but I don't know what he could do for me. So what God has to do is he has to move me from just trusting what you're saying to make me learn how to trust him for myself. Yep. Anybody ever been there before? Yes, Lord. Oh, I've heard great testimonies, but it wasn't until God put my back against the wall. So I said, you know what? Jesus is real. Yes, Lord. Took me to get in my own experience to give you a high five after you testified and said, I know that's right. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes God has to give you your own experience. So his eyes were open, but he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Next verse. I'm almost done, y'all. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Now watch this. Ananias was the leader at Damascus. So he was like the pastor. He was probably going to be the first person that was going to be beheaded when Saul got there. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he says, here I am, Lord, with exclamation mark. He excited. (laughs) Ain't that wonderful when God speaks? Yeah, Lord, here I am. And watch this. Get up and go to the street called straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of, oh, Jesus. To the house of what? Judas. And ask for a man from Tarsus named since he is praying there. Now watch this. Here I am, Lord. And then God gives him the instruction. Next verse. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. He's seen you in a vision. Coming and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Now watch this. Lord. <laughs> Ain't no exclamation mark there. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> And a nice answer. I have heard from many people about this man. But how much harm has he done to your saints in Jerusalem? And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Whenever God calls you to do something that seems abstract, crazy, weird, tough. The blessing that's going to come forth out of it is in no comparison to your obedience. So sometimes God wants to test your obedience to see how bad you want to be blessed. And can I tell the truth? Too many times I have failed that test. Oh, I'm talking to me. I don't know, God. You sure it's you? <laughs> Hold on, let me let me fast on it. <laughs> let me pray on this, God. Let me see if this is your will. But what I'm learning to embrace is that when God is calling me to do something that is out of the ordinary, he's getting ready to do something extraordinary. Trust the process. I don't know who I'm speaking to today, 
But somebody here, God is calling you to do something in ordinary. Oh, don't get quiet. And you like, God, is this you? Guess what? I'm preaching this today because God sent me here because I don't know why I'm preaching this. God sent me here today to preach this message because he wants to get that message across to you. So now you've got double confirmation. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I don't think he's talking to me. He's talking about there. (laughs) But the Lord said to him, go for this man. Who? For this man is my. This man is my. This man is my instrument. This murderer, this persecutor of the church, this evil man, this man that was least likely to succeed is my capital M, God's man, my chosen instrument to take my name to a place where the rest of the church folks that say they got the Holy Ghost don't want to go. They all right preaching to church folks. Y'all quiet. They all right preaching in these four walls. But what I had to do is I had to make contact with somebody that will be bold enough to take it to the streets. Be able to share the gospel with people that have never heard it. It is easy to fill this church up with folks that belong to other churches. Oh, it's easy. I could play that game. But how easy for us to go into the streets and bring in folks that have never heard the gospel? Today ain't looking so well, is it? But that's what God has called us to do. Kings and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer. Watch this for my name. I'm almost done, y'all. I'm gonna go one more chapter and then we out of here. So Ananias left and entered into the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, you were traveling. Now watch this. Paul ain't never tell Ananias this story. So Paul at this point, as the hands are being laid on him, he has to know that this man had to be sent from God. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Next verse. At at once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength and Saul was with the disciple with the with the disciples in Damascus for some days. I don't want to go there. I don't want to work there too deep, but he laid hands, he was baptized, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost all in one experience. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave that alone. I want to get kicked out of my own ministry. Paul gets revelation from God and I'm I'm done here he gets revelation from God here 
And he begins to understand that all things work together for the good and the called according to his purpose. And he goes into Galatia, city of Galatia. And these are people who are converted into Christianity, but they have problems with letting go of their Jewish customs. So they're still trying to hold on to the legalism of the law, but say they walk in the newness of Christ. And Paul has to write a whole entire chapter to the church of Galatia. And he spends the whole first chapter defending himself. But then he goes to Galatia, the first chapter. And this is why I'm getting ready to close and hoop. You got that hooping um, app for me? Galatia, the first chapter in the 15th verse. And he says here, but when God, who from my set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul is sharing with us that everything that he went through in his life, even the persecuting of the saints, was part of the plan of God. Which tells me something, y'all. It tells me that I can't judge anybody by their current condition. Because if they have been set apart from before they were in their mother's womb, then God at the twinkling of an eye can change their whole entire life and change the entire situation. Help me, Holy Ghost. It shows me that there are some folks that are unsaved. There are some atheists, agnostics, and some unbelievers who have declared in their heart there is no God. But if God has called them before they were in their mother's womb, it don't matter how hard their heart is when God wants you God will get you help me if Paul would have had a choice he would have never made this decision to follow God but because God made the choice God converted changed his heart and made him one of the greatest apostles in the Bible I'm so glad that I did not make a choice for myself because if I made a choice for myself I wouldn't be standing here right now but one day when I was minding my business. God put his hand on me. He contacted me. He convicted me and he converted me and he said, you know what? This ain't got nothing to do with you. Before you was in your mama's womb, I had plans, good plans concerning you and from this we know, y'all gotta help me, that all things work together for my good. It has to come together. Your family ain't saved yet, they ain't delivered yet, but I'm here to tell you it ain't over yet. If they're still alive, God can still do it. If they're still here, then God can still save them. If they're down and out, God can still lift them up. So don't lose your faith. God still has a plan. Got to close. I'm sorry. Still has a plan. I got to sit down, y'all. Still has a plan for the outcast. He still has a plan for the Muslim. Oh, yeah, I said it. He still has a plan for the Hindu. He still has a plan for the Buddhist. He still has a plan for the atheist. He still has a plan for that family member that said, I ain't never going back to no church. He still has a plan.
Don't you give up. If God ain't give up, you don't give up. If God ain't close the door, you don't close the door. Paul is saying, I had my own plans, but God. I was going to do my own thing, but God. I thought I was never going to step foot in a church again, but God. I made up in my mind I never give God a praise again, but God. I decided that church was full of hypocrites and no good people, but God. Set me apart. Called me to his grace. Was pleased. I got a close here, y'all. Was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Watch this. I did not what immediately consult with anyone. Why? Because I don't need no validation after God has already did the work. I got a quote there. We used to, I'm, I don't, help me Jesus. I'm about to tell you to turn this podcast off. We used to have this thing what they call the tarrier service. And I'm not knocking it. We talked about this on Wednesday. I think it was good for the time being. And it's still good if that's where you are. But there was this thing where somebody would sit over you and tell you if you had it. But who are you to tell me if God is in me? So what Paul is saying is that I ain't consult with no one when I knew for myself that Jesus was in y'all. <laughs> I ain't need a church mother to say he got it. Amen. I ain't need a deacon to say you got it now. You can get up. No, no, no. When I got it, I knew I had it. That's right. That's right. Oh, do I got anybody that's really filled with the Holy Ghost? When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, you ain't need nobody. You sure look like you got the Holy Ghost there. If you never tell me, I know I got it. Paul is saying, "Uh uh-uh. When God does his work, he don't need no validation. The Bible says that when he created everything at the end of each day, he didn't need nobody to praise him. The angels didn't declare his works. The trees didn't even say thank you yet. But the Bible says that when God got done, he looked at it and said, it is good. Because once God validates himself... He don't need no validation from nobody. <laughs> Can I close y'all? Can I close y'all? He don't need no validation from nobody else. And when God fills you with his Holy Spirit, you going to know. You going to know. Because the Holy Spirit will give you conviction. The Holy Spirit brings forth transformation. The Holy Spirit brings forth change. The Holy Spirit will make you say, I don't, I, this, this just don't even feel right no more. Amen. Holy Spirit will say, I don't need to be in these type of situations no more. I don't need to be making these type of connections no more. You'll know, and you ain't got to consult with nobody because the Holy Ghost will be consulting with you. Yeah. Let me get three points I'm sitting down. <laughs> Point number one. Y'all with me? An evil act against the church is an evil act against God. You attack God's church, you done messed up. Number two, 
sometimes our first encounter with God can be a hard one. I told you, everybody's conversion was different. But I ain't shaming nobody. I celebrate the fact that you've just been converted. So we're not going to sit here and have war stories. I think Dad Herbert remembered we went to a church service one time and they, everybody got up and just had a, a war story. And the testimonies would just get worse and worse as the service went on. Yeah. I want to give honor to God that I broke my leg. I want to give honor to God I broke my arm in my leg. I want to give honor to God that they chopped my head off. I want to give honor to God they chopped my arm in my leg and my head off. And it was just, everybody was just getting up trying to one-up each other with the testimonies. And nobody could just get up and say, I thank God for his grace. How about this? I thank God I didn't break an arm. Because it hurt. I think I had to break my leg. Because <laughs> I don't want my leg broke. We don't need to be in here wanting up each other over war stories. God has been good to all of us in our own way. However, he's been good. And all we need to know is God's been good. No need. But every once in a while, some of us were hard-headed. All right, I'm the only one. Some of us were hard-headed in our sins. And God couldn't just use a preacher. Preacher was preaching every Sunday and you still was hard-headed. He he preached the lights down. Ceiling fell on your head. And you took the dust off and walked out. (laughs) I'm still doing what I want to do. And where God had to get, God had to almost make you hit a brick wall for you to say, Jesus, Lord! It took that for you. But some of us, all we, see, she gonna get mad because she ain't in here. Yasmin was the one that got beat all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So when I would hear her getting her beaten downstairs, I learned what not to do from her. (laughs) Yeah. So, I could hear the preaching of the gospel with the belt. (laughs) Downstairs on her. And that spirit would speak to my soul. And say, boy, you want to be saved? I say, yes, I want to be saved. Well, don't do what she just did. And I was saved from her testimony. (laughs) You see how I just preached the message right there? Saved by grace. And there was some things that the Lord prevented from me. Prevented from me. Because I watched the wrath of the Lord upon her. There's a difference between a sound and God's voice. You take off that can be a hard one. I think I said that in the last one. But there's a difference between a sound and God's voice. Some folks just hear a sound. But I'm so glad I heard his voice. Because a voice has instruction. That's why I don't get caught up in just church. Y'all quiet. Some folks just have church. That's a sound. Y'all know we all can do the church sound. Oh, y'all quiet. 
I wish I had it on me. I'll, I'll put it up next week. But it was, it's, uh, all right, let me see. I'm a, can I test y'all? I'm going to test y'all, see how churchy y'all are. I'm going to test y'all. <clears throat> uh, Darnell, can you do, can you, uh, I don't know if you could put this up. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm give them this, and then we're going to see who's saved. I'm going to see who's saved and who's churchy by who knows this, if I have it, and it don't look like I got it. But it was IDK, W, but basically, I don't care what, I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise the Lord. It was a bunch of acronyms. And I looked at it the first time, and I said, I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise the Lord. And I was like, man, I'm churchy. <laughs> like, I, I, they put the whole acronym out, ADK, blah, 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 blah. And I, it didn't take me no more than five seconds because I know church. I can go in almost any Pentecostal church and know what to say. Give an honor to God. He's first in my life to the pastor and the first lady, to all saints, members, and friends. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. See, I don't know what y'all come to do, but when I think of the goodness of Jesus, no, 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 no. See, see, all I need, I don't need this. All I need is a thought. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all, oh, let me sit down, y'all. Let me sit down because I'm sorry. But God's been too good up in here. Y'all see, y'all, y'all, y'all don't know, y'all don't know like I know what he's done for me. Eventually, and I'm not saying that somebody's not sincere, but there are some folks that know the sound. Yeah. And then there's the guy that gets up and just says, God's been good. And church fans fly all over the place. And you say, all he said was God's been good. He experienced it. That voice resonates in your soul. Yes. And I don't just want a sound. I want his voice. Because his voice will change your life. I'm not going to do it, but I can hand all y'all the mic. And most of y'all, I've seen Caesar smiling. He even know. Uh, don't let the quiet man fool you over there. Caesar will take all of us to church in a minute. <laughs> There's a difference between a sound and a voice. I'm finished, y'all. Least likely to succeed. And if we all told the truth, if there was a superlative, a, church, a Christian superlative of folks that wouldn't have made it or folks thought wouldn't have made it, a whole lot of our faces will be up here. That class advisor I told you about, he was a minister. And I was not the best student. I think worse was with me one night. I preached at his church. He, he passed away a couple years ago, but I preached at his church before he passed away. And um, Lamont was there, too. And he just hugged me and just wouldn't let go. And he's in my ear like, man, I just, how you see this? <laughs> and they think he's being spiritual. He is, he kind of crying, but he kind of crying like, yo, I know this is God. And he's just, oh man. And he finally let me go. Lamont was like, yo, what was that about? I was like, yeah, that was my class advisor. <laughs> we got to Disney and the, well, I ain't never been away from home without my parents so we got to Disney 
And we decided we was gonna have a water gun fight. A water, a water fight, ain't had no water guns. And we took trash cans, filled them up with waters and had to share, we shared the rooms. Y'all know the doors that take you to someone else's room? And we would turn the lights off and just throw water around the hotel. So, so, so we laid on soaking bed, wet beds the whole night. And the, the carpet was wet, whole nine. And we tried to cut the lights on. The lights wouldn't cut on. We blew the circuit. So I'm like, oh. But you know, you're young, so you're stupid. So I still went to bed. Came back from Disney World the next day, tried to get in my room. And we couldn't get in. And I look and I see one of those uh, fans that dry out rooms. And we went down to the main lobby and said, hey, man, you know, they, we can't get in our room. He said, yeah, because we're kicking you out. Y'all going home today. <laughs> I said, huh? He said, call your parents and tell them you need a ticket back from Florida. One day in Florida. Now, y'all know I was trying not to call my dad. <laughs> my friend was lying, calling for a fake number. We had to stand there in front of him and call our parents. My friend, y'all know Gary, he calling fake numbers. <laughs> she ain't picking up. <laughs> So he said, all right, so this is what I'll do. If y'all parents can wire y'all all all $400, because it's $4,000 worth of damage, I'll let y'all stay. And I had to call my dad. And I was like, oh, Jesus. And it was like one in the morning, and my dad picked up. I said, Dad, how you doing? (laughs) I said, these boys was messing around in this room. <laughs> and I was in there. I was minding my own business. Teacher took the phone and talked to my dad. Yeah, your son was in there too. <laughs> and my dad said, I'm, I'm a, he's like, you know what? I'm going to send you the money. I was so shy. He actually handled it well. He said, I'm going to send you the money. He said, have fun. He said, but don't do nothing like that and get it hung up. And I looked the next morning and he wired me $400. I was least likely <laughs> not only to succeed, but to live if he picked up the phone with the wrong spirit that day. And all, I don't know how we did it. All of us were able to get $400 from my parents and uh, we were able to pay for those rooms and they let us stay for the rest of the week. So my Disney trip ended up being $400 more because I decided I was going to have a water, not a water gunfight, a water fight. So, uh, was you there that night, Bishop Bobo Farm Church? So we, he gets the mic and he tells the whole story to the church, and I'm just sitting there with my head down. <laughs> He's like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at how God used him, but I remember when. And I'm like, all right, man, come on, chill out. <laughs> all right, these are our reflection scriptures of the day. I'm talking too much, y'all. Our reflection scriptures of the day, or the week, I'm sorry, of the week, uh, is Deuteronomy 7 and 7, verses, verses 7 through 8. Uh, so it's Deuteronomy 7, chapter, verses 7 through 8. 1 Samuel 12 and 22. 1 Chronicles 28, chapter 28, verses 4 through 5. Matthew chapter 11, verses 20, verse 26, and Luke chapter 10, verse 21. These will be on our web at there tomorrow morning. They should be on there, okay? Um, this Tuesday, we're going to be fasting. Y'all right? You get quiet when you say fast. So this is it. So you have two options, okay? Um, you can do the absolute fast from six to six, which is nothing. 
maybe some water from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Or you could do Daniel's fast from 12 a.m. to 12 p.m. Or 12 p.m. 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. All right. So that's complete 24 hours. And that's no meat, no bread, no sweets for 24 hours. So you can go 12 hours with nothing or you go 24 hours with, you know, rabbit food. All right. <laughs> All right. So that'll be on this Tuesday. Um, just fasting for God for, for some clarity um, regarding some things. Um, I share with some of you guys some things that God is doing here at Hope Haven. Um, so I, I, we're going to be doing this just throughout the year. Um, you know, one day here, one day there, as well as um, just some folks on our prayer request. So um, <clears throat> I don't want to do that. I was going to say if you have any names, I don't, but I don't want to throw names on social media or something like that. But if you have any names that you would like me to pray for um, or some folks in the group, our church to pray for, just write them down. I'm um, sharing with us. And then we can do it in private. Um, I don't, I'm not into glorifying what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? God says what you do in secretly, I'll bless you openly. So um, if there's any special prayer requests, just see me and uh, we'll pray that way rather than blasting it. Pray for Tara, she acting up. <laughs> we don't want, we don't want to do that. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the word on today, God. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here in this place. Thank you, Lord, for changing our narrative, changing our story, and changing our history. Uh, for God, while we were yet sinners, God, you died on the cross for us, and we are thankful for that. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for just being God and God alone. We thank you, Lord, for saving our lives, saving our lives, saving, saving us from just sin and, and, and mess and filth and all of the things that we've been through. And God, we thank you, Lord, for just this great life, God, that you're preparing for us, God. We know that all things are working together for our good, and we give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to partner with us or make a donation, Please visit our site at www.go-hopehaven.org. Our mission statement is to reach, evangelize, accept, and love. Your contribution will be a blessing to many in our local community, nationally, and even internationally. Again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more next week.